Take your Bible, if you will, your copy of the Word of God and go to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. You know, we've been reading and studying this letter from John. I hope it's been an encouragement to you. Uh, the primary theme, as is, is, is no surprise to us, of this epistle is the love of God. I mean, we've been reading through it. I hope you've been uh, studying through it and, and, uh, and listening to what the Lord has for us. But the, it's clearly the love of God. But there's also an underlying purpose, an underlying theme. Uh, and I think that underlying th- theme, is, it's, it's interwoven into the love of God, of course. But it's to encourage, it's to encourage us, to encourage us as Christians uh, to draw a little closer to the Lord, with love as, a, as of course, our motivator to, to fall in love with, with Jesus all over again. Uh, and I'm reminded of the, that, that, that passage there when, when Jesus is speaking to the churches in the, in the book of Revelation, John's letter there as well. And he tells them to remember your first love. You know, go back to that and go back to that place where uh, you know where Jesus is, you know where God's at. You know, I want to share with you that I almost used or went to an entirely different passage of Scripture for our source text this morning. Uh, but I, I leave in, in a way that, honestly, I will tell you that I was not, that, that God led in a way that I wasn't expecting. Uh, throughout this past week, from Sunday and all the way to this Sunday, uh, I, was, I felt that I was led to preach a message specifically on the encouragement of, of His children, to encourage us, to, to stir us up by way of encouragement, uh, kind of a message there. And I was going to go to 1 Samuel, but uh, I don't think we're going to be there this morning. Well, we're not going to be there unless the Lord changes it. And the message is, is written, actually, um, but I don't think we're going to be there. I still believe encouragement is needed, of course. And if I were to be honest, I would admit that I need encouragement. And But I do believe the Lord's going to lead this morning in a way that we're going to get that encouragement from the book of 1 John. And I realize that sharing those things is not necessarily preaching. I get that. Uh, but I like sharing these things. I like being transparent on how the Lord leads me. And I think it's a, it's a blessing because I remember when uh, a pastor of mine or people that I, even today that, that, that I look up to and they share how the Lord's leading. That's encouraging to see people working uh, in other people's lives. Uh, and I hope it's encouraging to you. And it's, you know, a couple, a couple weeks ago, we preached a, a message on, or I preached a message on blessed are the pure in heart. It wasn't the main core, uh, but it was, you know, some kind of a side note. And we talked about the pure in heart can see, the hand, can see God. And we know that to be true in heaven, but we can see that here. The pure in heart see God here. We can see Him moving in our lives. We can see Him moving uh, in other people's lives. And with all that said, I want to I want to begin reading this, to get our encouragement this morning from First John chapter three, and this is this is a different passage uh, that we've been in, uh, or a different way to look at these passages. I'm going to rearrange some things here, and maybe in a way that I believe that's uh, that God's given me. But look at First John chapter three. Look at verse number thirteen, uh, and we're going to read a few passages here. But the Bible says, "Marvel not, my brethren, if the world hate you." We know. That we have passed from death unto life, because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. Whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. 
But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother hath need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby we know that we are of the truth, and shall assure our hearts before him. For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart, and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. And whatsoever we ask, we receive of him, because we keep his commandments, and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. And this is his commandment, that we should believe on the name of his Son, Jesus Christ, and love one another as he gave us commandment. And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. Verse 1 of chapter 4 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the Spirit of God, every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you, Lord, so much for your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, we thank you for the cross. We thank you for the, the ever dwelling uh, of the Holy Spirit of God within us, Lord. And, and we know that greater is he that is in us, Lord, than he that is in the world. Lord, we know that we have passed from death unto life, not because of any merit of our own, Lord, but because of the cross. And because you first loved us, and because you extended a wonderful invitation to the world, Lord, to come as we are. Lord, to come as we are and be forgiven and be redeemed and be purchased and be adopted, Lord, and be loved, Lord. So many other ways we can put that, Lord. But what, what a great concept it is. What a great act of love that you've bestowed upon us, Lord, that we could be called the sons of God. Lord, so great love. Lord, meet with us today, Lord. Meet with us in a way, Lord, that uh, we know that we've been with you. Lord, use us in spite of us. And Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, the first thing that I think jumps out at me this morning is that passage up there in verse 14. It says, we know that we have passed from death unto life, from death unto life. So I've entitled this passage from death unto life, as you can see there, because that's truly the most significant thing that can happen to any person. I mean, as we, as we go through this life, I like the wording there, passed from death unto life. And we, we refer to us as we leave this world, we are, we've passed away. We've, we've left the life behind. And, but John puts it in a different twist. We pass from this life, which is technically death, spiritual death. And then we move on to spiritual life. And we get that from the Lord Jesus Christ. We get that from salvation, passing from death unto life. Remember last week we talked about now are we the sons of God. It's not something that we have to look for. We, when we accept Christ, we have eternal life this very moment. Past. We have passed. That's past tense right there. Passed from death unto life. In our passage, and in, in this lengthy passage I just read, we see a, a number of things related to this passing uh, from death to life with respect to how it applies to us. Specifically to us. Look at verse number 23. We're going to jump around here this morning in this, in this chapter 3 here. But verse 23 says, And this is his commandment, 
I, I think this is a, just crystal clear here that we should believe on the name of His Son, Jesus Christ, as He gave us commandment. You know, any student of this epistle, we've been, as we've been reading through this, this letter from 1 John to the churches here, uh, we see that there is an obvious focus on love. There's, there's no escape in that. On God's love, on our love, on how we love others and how we love God, so forth and so forth. He hits the, the, the love from almost every angle that we can imagine with respect to us and God. But we also see from John in this verse that loving God comes before loving others. Loving God comes before loving others. If you remember in Matthew 23 or 22, 37, Jesus said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. That's the commandment that Jesus is speaking of here. So while Jesus did in fact continue, as we know, by saying the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, I do not believe one can truly love their neighbor with a true divine agape love without first loving God. There has to be some kind of experience there. We must first repent and accept, that, accept the Lord Jesus Christ. We cannot love if we don't know the author of love or the definer of love. We must know Jesus Christ. And again, this is not something that the Apostle John, he's, he's older in his ages here, maybe 80 or 90 years old. It's not something that he just, he's sitting around, he's going see now, and he's thinking this is a new message. Jesus' first message was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And the implication is that we repent from self and sin. Repent means to turn and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. Remember the Philippian jailer when, when Paul and Silas were cast in the prison and after they were released, he turns to him and says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Jesus goes as far as to say, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. Come unto me, he says. And to Israel, he says, All day long I've stretched forth my hands to a disobedient people, but they wouldn't come so I want to point out that there is a clear, divine, global invitation to salvation. But look at verse 23 again. This is His commandment. There is a commandment to repent. There is a commandment to come to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts 17.30, Paul preached that God commands all men everywhere, all men everywhere to repent. There is a command to repent. You know, it's one thing to neglect an invitation from our divine commander-in-chief. It's quite another thing to disobey that command. It's different. You know, it's, the, world may, the world may enjoy, and maybe we even here this morning may enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, maybe even the ignorances of the love of God, but it's only a matter of time before we stand before holy God. Think of the victory lap Satan and his minions had when Jesus gave up the ghost on the cross. I mean, I think there was probably joy. But think of also the, the high priest, what he felt like. I wonder if he felt like a freight train was going through his chest when that veil was rent from the top to the bottom. What did the Jews think when, when, a, when a Gentile said, surely this was the Son of God? What did they think when those graves opened? I wonder if they had a victory lap for those three days in between. Yes, we finally got him. We crucified him. Satan is happy. He's dead. But then he came out of the grave. 
Three days later, their attitude started to change. And just like Sunday was three short days from our Lord's crucifixion, time is running out for the naysayers today. The Lord is coming back. He is a promise. Remember, he's, he's not slack concerning his promise. Because one way or another, every knee is going to bow before Jesus Christ. Every knee is going to bow before Jesus Christ. But we can come on our own volition. Isn't that great? And if we do so, we're going to be loved with a love that's beyond our comprehension. A love and a peace that passes all understanding. That's why John can begin this chapter with, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us. Maybe further along when we're in heaven, we get some kind of a glimpse of how great that love is for us. How great that God's love is for us. To the many believers who have experienced the peace of divine forgiveness and agape love, we should be thankful for that command to repent. But I got to say this morning, if you haven't, Know that that command is crystal clear to repent. This is his command that we should believe on the name of his son, Jesus Christ. A command. But not only does John reiterate God's commandment to repent. If we keep on reading here, uh, he also gives some criteria. He also gives us some criteria. Look at verse 23 again. First John chapter three, verse 23. He says, and he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. Verse 1 says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirit, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Hereby know ye the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. Notice the present tense. Verse 3 says, And every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist, whereof ye have heard that it should come, and even now already is it in the world. So we see the criteria here. Truthfully, I want to point out the only criterion for being a child of God, to being of God, for being saved, is believing and receiving the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. I often go to Romans 10, 9 that says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. So while 1 John is aimed at drawing us as believers closer to God, there again is an open invitation to adoption. To whosoever will. This means you and me and your neighbors and everybody else. I find it strange sometimes that we who are Christians, we have experienced that adoption. We, we take joy and we take pride in that, that invitation has been extended to us. But we don't carry it along and invite others into that same relationship. So there is a command and I, to, to do that. And I don't, we don't want to neglect that command. But again, responding to an invitation is different. Responding to an invitation to be present with the Lord is much better than reporting to the Lord. You know, in the military, we, we know the difference. It's, it's the difference between called on the carpet, right, or invited over to supper. There is a big difference here. Call on him today if you don't know for sure. But John also gives us some criteria that will help us as believers determine who is of God and who is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and who has given their whole life to the Lord Jesus Christ every moment, every aspect. And he gives us sort of a, of a litmus test to, to learn who's who in the, 
in this world. Look at verse 23 again. He says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him, and he in him. And hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So, actually I read verse 24, but look at the last part of verse 23. He says, And love one another as he gave us a commandment. So, a mark of a Christian today is to love one another. First and foremost, we must love one another. After believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, every Christian ought to love. There's no, there's no room to, to, to negotiate that. And if you remember John 13, 34, Jesus gives a command to the apostles and to us, of course, love one another as I have loved you. He even says that this is how men will know we are Christians. Now think about that moment. Our love to others, my love for Shannon, is supposed to be how God loves me. That's a tall order. That is a tall order, and that is the mark of a true Christian, Jesus says. That is the mark of a true believer, to love one another. And then look at verse 24. Again, I've already read it. But he says, And he that keepeth his commandments dwelleth in him. And he in him, and hereby we know that he abideth in us by the Spirit which he hath given us. So not only are we to love one another, we as Christians, the mark of a true Christian is to keep God's commandments. And we can go on and on. There's actually about 50 commandments from the Lord Jesus Christ, depending on which book you want to read about that. But there's a lot of those in there. In context, these commandments of John refer to, referred to are belief in Jesus Christ and loving one another. But it's true of all his commandments. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. And look at 1 John chapter 5. Look at verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not grievous. So the second criteria, uh, criterion this morning is obedience. Obedience to those 49 or 50-some commands of the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. And by the way, they include, if you want to include the Old Testament, there's 613 laws in the Old Testament. You can put all that together. There is a life that we should be living that's different than what we think it is. There is a way that seems right unto a man, but the ways there are, but the way there is is of death, the Bible says in Proverbs. You know, all of those laws that Jesus has for us in the New Testament, they are not and should not be a hassle to follow for lovers of God. They should not be a hassle. You know, you don't have to convince a football player or a baseball player to go outside and, and play catch. He just loves to do it. You don't have to twist the arm of a teenager today to play video games. It's not grievous to him. Simply put, this is something that, that hit me. Followers of Christ should love following Christ. It's just very clear. We should love following the Lord Jesus Christ. We should love reading the Bible. We should love hearing sermons preached. We should love getting a hold. We should love praying together in the morning. We should love everything there is about the Lord Jesus Christ. Lovers or followers of Christ should love following Him. Why else will we follow Him? Why else? We should be obedient. We should love him and keep his commandments. Then look at verses 2 and 3 again of chapter 4. He says, Hereby know ye the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesseth Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is of God. So another mark of a Christian is that they confess that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh. Now I know that's, that's a, a double play there. We have to confess that before we are Christians. But it's not a one-time thing, even though salvation is. It is a lifetime, lifelong event. 
And I think these two verses here, verses 2 and 3 of 1 John chapter 4, make it abundantly clear who is for or against Christ. If we confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, then you are of God. If not, then you are not. Very clear. Again, Romans 10, 9. That it says, if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, and shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Look at verse 24 of 1 John again. It concludes with, uh, with obedience. It says, how we know that he abideth in us by the spirit which he hath given us. So get this now, a confession, therefore, is the admitting of what is already in your heart. The confession is admitting what's already in your heart. True, confes true confession of Jesus Christ is equal to the possession of the Holy Spirit. Is equal. And profession, profession and confession are not always the same, although they should be. In context, John is letting us know that those who confess Jesus Christ in, the word, in word and in deed are of God. And Jesus even states in Matthew 7, beware of false prophets and you shall know them by their fruits. And I think John is building upon that writing by saying that every spirit that confesseth not that Jesus Christ is come in the flesh is not of God. And this is that spirit of Antichrist. Listen, folks, God, through the Apostle John, I believe, has given us some real practical tools of discernment to help us stay on the right course, to not be duped by other people who are not leading the right life, even in church or even, even as a pastor, if we're not confessing a life or living a life that brings honor to God and, and reflects my belief in Jesus Christ, then we need, to, we need to be careful about these things. True Christians love one another. True Christians are cheerfully obedient. True Christians live a life that reflects Jesus Christ and that He is come in the flesh. Then I want you to look at 5 and 6 of chapter 4. This last criterion is found in these, in these two verses here. It says, They are of the world, therefore speak they of the world, and the world heareth them. That the they is the Antichrist. We are of God. He that knoweth God heareth us. He that is not of God heareth not us. Hereby know we the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So true Christians also recognize spiritual truth. Again, these are important practical tools that help us discern what's right in this world. I want to point out that the word used for hearing in this passage here, in this verse here, it's more than just hearing an audible sound. It's more than just, you know, hitting metal three times to signify something. It's more than that. It's, it means to give audience to. It means to hearken unto. It means to, to understand. And what John is saying here, those who are of God have a greater understanding of the things of God. I mean, think about that. I mean, it just makes common sense. My children probably know more about my family than your children know about my family. Because they're in a part of my family. And those who are of God have a greater understanding of the things of God. And those who are of the world have a greater understanding of the things of the world. Those who are of God hearken to the things of God. Those who are of the world hearken to the things of the world. Put it a different way. Those who choose to hear the things of God are of God. Those who choose to listen to the things of God are of God. And those who choose not to listen and not to hear the things of God are not of God. 
That's pretty bold. That should, that should revolutionize everything that we have in our lives. If we hear somebody and we know it's from God and we just disagree with that person, but his statement is from the Bible, we need to pay attention to that. We need to, to look at that, look into those things and follow the word of God. The Bible says this is the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Listen, there are a lot of folks in this people, a lot of folks in this world today who flat out refuse to hear the things of God. Right? We see it on the news. They flat out refuse to have any dialogue that might entertain anything having to do with God. I have knocked on people's doors in this community. And they say, I do not want anything from you. My neighbor right up here. I was over there. She speaks German. I was with my father-in-law. And we go over there. And as soon as he mentioned the church, she walked away. I mean, turned her back and walked away. Had, doesn't want anything to do with God. They flat out refuse to have any dialogue. What's John say? They are not of God. This is the world in which we live. But I want to point out again this morning that there is not much we can do about the world out there in the next five minutes. But we can look at our own hearts this morning. Do we recognize spiritual truth? Do we recognize spiritual truth? Do we, are we in tune to the preaching and the teaching and the studying and the meditating upon the word of God? Do we recognize that? Do I, do I allow my own Americanisms to cloud the recognition of spiritual truth in my life? Do I allow my own cultural upbringing? Do you? Am I obedient to the things of God? Do I love others as Christ loves me? Am I obedient in season and out of season with a cheerful heart? Does my life reflect the belief that Jesus is the Christ and very God in the flesh? Not my words. Does my life reflect that? And do I surrender my thoughts to the, and my convictions and my worries and all that I am to the authority of the Word of God? Is this my authority? Is it your authority? I want to ask this morning, how do you measure up to John's criteria here? These four things. If you're still with me this morning... And you're still focused on worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. And you're still focusing on wanting to grow in the Lord. Look at 1 John 4.4. 4. I thought of you, Brother Shannon, when I was writing these things. He says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You are of God, little children. In contrast to those antichrists who are not of God... And you have overcome them because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. This morning we looked at the commandment to repent. We looked at John's cri criteria and this is the conquering. Uh, this is my favorite point this morning. This is the conquering. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. What a statement. What a statement. Let me, let me just ask you something very quickly here this morning. Very simple. Who is in you? Who is in you? Are we filling that up with other things? Do we put just anything in there inside of us? Do we allow uh, the culture? Do we allow our, our pride? Do we allow our, the things that we want, our desires and our lust into our hearts? Or is it God within us? Is it God? Is it the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, speaking of believers who would soon receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus said in John 14, 20, at that day, speaking of that time when we receive the Holy Spirit, ye shall know that I am in my Father and ye in me. And these last three words, I in you. 
I in you. Jesus in you. That's pretty boring, isn't it? Jesus in you. John chapter 1, in the gospel according to John, tells us that all things were made by him, Jesus. And without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, get a hold of that this morning. The creator of all things is here and there. The creator of the world. The spirit of the almighty, all-powerful, living God dwells within his children and John is putting this in context here. Even though there are millions of antichrists in the world, even though they will walk away from you, they will spit in your face, they will do all kinds of things against you, and many will oppose you, many will mock you for living for Jesus. John writes, you are of God and have overcome them. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You know, there's nothing in this world that is greater than God. Not Satan, not sin, not my sin, not your sin, no politician, no activist group, not even the media. Nothing is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at 1 John chapter 2, look at verse 16, talking about all the things that are in the world. He says, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, verse 16, and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And what does the world do? It passes away. And the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. I hope you caught that. The world passes away. And all the lust thereof. We talked about a few weeks ago about how we're standing before a holy God. We will not be able to point to all of our accomplishments in this world, the ones that are not for God, because they're going to be burned up. It's going to pass away. And even the lust, it's going to be gone. So when it's all said and done, when the dust settles, only those who are in God are going to be standing so don't be worrisome about anything. The Bible says don't be anxious. Don't even worry about how we're going to deal with these, can I say, ridiculous storms that we face these days. Don't worry about those things because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. It doesn't matter what we face. He's greater. He's greater. And as we will see in a moment, he can be the source of our strength to persevere in this world. He alone. Remember David, which the passage I almost went to? He encouraged himself in the Lord. He encouraged himself. And I don't know if you all remember the, the story there. He was, he was working for Gath. Gath is the, um, his name was Achish. He's from the same city that Goliath was. So David is working with the enemy. He's secretly doing some, some weird things in there. And he it caught up with him and he had to fight against his own people. And he used some trickery to get out of the battle. And he fooled Achish so he didn't have to fight against Israel. So now he's going back home to Ziklag. But while he was gone in Ziklag, some of the Canaanites went to Ziklag and burned it to the ground. His whole family was there. His, his wives and his children and all those things there. They don't know what's going on. He gets there. He has 600 men of war. And they all come around him. And they're all pointing their finger at David. This is your fault. And the Bible says they wanted to stone him. I can imagine they, they picked up rocks to stone their commander, David. What does David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. 1 Samuel 30, verse 6. He got on his knees. I'm add, adding here, but he, in front of all those men. And he reached into the source that can only get him through something like that. He encouraged himself in the Lord. We have the greatest resource. About less than a week later, David was on the throne. On the throne. Because in that same battle, Saul and Jonathan were killed. He didn't know that. 
He didn't see how he can get through the day, but he encouraged himself. And the Lord God is our source of strength. If God can be the source of strength for David around people, 600 men who want to stone you, what, are, what in the world are we facing that God can't be our strength? He is our strength. I know the world knocks us down sometimes. I've, I've had my share of those things and we'll all probably endure a few more. But the God of this world has already been defeated. He's already been defeated. So he can hammer and beat you into the ground your whole life, but he cannot destroy the God who is in you. And the God in us promises that he will never leave us nor forsake us. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4 that we have this treasure, speaking of God in us, in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. And because of this, he says, we are troubled on every side. We are distressed, but not perplexed, in despair, or persecuted, but not forsaken, cast down, but not destroyed. And the next chapter begins with, for we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, if we die because of the persecution, we have a building of God a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Our God will not leave us. And how can we do that? Because we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. Nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God. Because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. The Holy Spirit of God is not called a comforter for no reason. It's not just a play on words. John didn't just like the word parakletos to put that in there. God is a comforter. And if the creator of the entire world, the entire universe lives within us, we have an infinite source of strength. The world and even us cannot comprehend. In fact, look back at 1 John chapter 3. Look at verse 18. John writes, My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And hereby know we, or we know that we are of the truth and shall assure our hearts before him. Keep on reading there. For our heart, for if our heart condemn us, God's greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then we have confidence towards God. Look at that word in verse 19, assure. I like that word. I like that word. It means to have confidence. How to have confidence. In other words, God is not just greater than the world. He's not just greater than the God of this world and everything in it. He's not, he's not just greater in some abstract kind of way. And it's something we can't put our finger on. No, God is greater even than our own hearts. He's greater than all of our shortcomings. He's greater than all of our guilt. And in Him, and Him alone, we can find confidence to stand tall in a world that bows to every wind of change. Our author, Paul Chapel write, the men of this world, or the, the world couldn't change. What's that? You know what I'm talking about? Uh, the, the people who change the world are the same people the world couldn't change. And we need to get a hold of that. We need to find that source within us. Because think about this. The more we're like God, the more we change not because God changes not. You know, I'm, I'm so thankful that the Word of God doesn't change. We can, we can look at the news. We can read newspapers. I don't know if we even do that anymore. But look at social media. You can even talk to your friends. You can see churches fall. You can see churches rise. And you see nations rise. And you see nations fall. But this has never changed. We can put our hope in the Word of God. We can have a confidence. Again, we can find source in Him that lives within us. And we can stand tall in a world that's bowing to everything, it seems, these days. We can have 
confidence. We can have confidence. Look at verses 20 and 21 again. It says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. But if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence towards God. Friends, these two verses bring me great comfort. First, we see if my heart condemns me, God's greater. If my heart condemns me, God's greater. In other words, if I am walking, and you and I are walking closer to the Lord, if we have purposed in our heart to do the right thing, we've, we've purposed in our heart to stay in the Word of God, to stay studying and stay living right, and, and all those things that we know how to live before God, and we live like we actually love God, when we sin, we're going to know it. We're going to know it. It's going to cross us. We're going to notice the sin. It's going to bring conviction. Your heart is going to condemn you. And on one hand, praise God. Praise God, this is a good thing. Because my heart condemns me because it knows better. Because there's light in there. When that darkness comes into my heart and there's condemnation from that, praise God, I recognize the sin in my life. But on the other hand, the guilt that comes along with that condemnation begins to highlight sometimes my unworthiness to be a Christian. And my conclusion could easily be, what's the point of living for God? I can't do it anyway. Why do I even keep going? I can never get things right. I'm not good at praying. I fall asleep reading my Bible. I fall asleep in church. I'm not good enough for God. Why keep going? But John writes, if our heart condemns us, God's greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Look at verse 1, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. If any man sin, praise God, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. So when our heart condemns us, we have an advocate. We have somebody that pays that price. When we sin, it's paid for. Let our heart condemn us, but then let it get it gone. Let it get away. Confess it and get it, get it, out, of your, get it out of your life. He's greater than our heart. This is not a license to sin, of course, but God is telling us, praise God, not to follow our hearts. Follow Him. He's greater than our heart. That's so simple but profound, right? Don't follow your heart. Follow Him. Why? He is greater than our heart. Yes, our hearts may condemn us. But Romans 8.1 says there is no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation. In other words, if you sin, and we will, unfortunately, and your heart condemns you, take it to Jesus. It's paid for. He's greater than your heart, and His grace is greater than your sin. He's greater. God is greater. God is greater. He's greater than I. <laughs> he is greater than I. He says in verse 21, Beloved, if our heart condemn us not, then have we confidence toward God. Think about that. In the first, in the first verse, if our heart condemn us, if we sin, we need, we need to forgive it. Let that condemnation bring repentance and get right with God. And, and let it go. Live for God. But now he says, if your heart doesn't condemn you, then you have confidence. And this begs the question, how does one live a life without honest self-condemnation? The answer is Jesus Christ. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Remember, God has not given us, God has not allowed any situation in our life that tempts us from sin. He has not allowed any of those things to come in our life without an escape. He always provides escape. When we sin, every single time we choose to sin. Every time. So this passage here, greater is he that is in you that is in the world, I think it's a, one of the ways we can take that to heart is we must make an effort to walk accordance to him that lives within us. 
Make an effort to walk in the light. Yes, we can sit here and talk about how God empowers us, and, and that's a true statement, how God fills us with the Spirit so that we can walk in the light. Yes, but there are some onus on us. There are some ought to's in the Bible. There are some things that we need to take our lives by the horn, so to speak, and make our own choices, and that choice should be to walk in the light, to do those things pleasing in His sight, the Bible says. Listen, I, I know that we're in the same boat here, you and I. We know when we're right with God. We know. We know when we're wrong. We know when we're right and we know when we're wrong. We have, we have prayers of forgiveness. We have prayers that ask God to search our hearts when we're, when we're right before God. When we try to live right, we repent often. I heard a preacher say, keep a short list of sins. Don't go long with, without repenting them. Get them out of the way. Get back into the fellowship with God. Repent often because we sin often. And when we're right with God, we know that a surrendered heart is a pure heart. And a pure heart is not a condemning heart. And the end result is confidence towards God. You know, when we're right with God, we are confident that he is right with us. It's not an arrogance that the Bible that John is talking about here. It's a confidence when we know that we've sinned and we've repented of that sin and we know there's nothing between us. Those, those times in our lives, we know what we're talking about. We, you know what I'm talking about, right? We, we had those times when we know we just have the Spirit of God with us and we know that we're yielding, we're trying to do the right thing. They're usually short-lived. And they usually come up and down a lot in your lives. But at the top of that list, when we're there, we have a confidence in God that surpasses just anything in this world. Confidence towards God. We are confident in the things of God, we are confident in the church of God, we are confident in the word of God, we are confident through the trials of this life because we are completely persuaded that he is able. I mean, just do some research about some of the missionaries of yesteryear and even some of the Christians today. How do they endure? They have confidence. They have confidence. Their heart is right. Their heart doesn't condemn them. And the truth of the matter is, is that the heart that doesn't condemn is the heart that's after God's own heart. That's the heart that doesn't condemn. So how's your heart this morning? And as we close, I want to I bring these four truths right back to each of us this morning in a personal way. Have you followed the command to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? It is a command. Does your life reflect the criteria the Bible lays out for every believer? Have you realized that your greatest resource is the conquering power of the love of God in you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And are you a confident Christian? Not just a Christian, but a confident Christian. Is your heart in the hand of the living God? Let us pray.